0: Hey, this is Greg and Zach. Welcome back to the Harvest Gate podcast. This week, we continue our values series. In the last value series, we talked about how being Jesus-centered is a vital part of who we are. This week, a long look at what it means to be discipleship-driven. How does that apply to Harvest Gate? And what model of discipleship will we be applying to ourselves? Uh, A quick reminder on what our five values are. Uh, Being Jesus-centered, discipleship-driven, community-oriented, missionally-minded, and kingdom-focused. And to get started, Zach, can you first define, for me as much as anybody else, what is a disciple?
1: Yeah, um, well, perhaps the best way to understand what a disciple is is to look at some of the historical context of what a disciple was. A disciple was a student of a rabbi, um, and they would put themselves into the service of the rabbi and into their, um, their their primary role was to learn and to obey the teachings of that rabbi. So, you might say that a disciple is a student or a learner or a pupil or an mm-hmm. apprentice or an adherent, um, And one thing that we probably do not, that we don't do well and that we probably don't fully understand because we're, uh, we live in the 21st century and this, the word that I'm about to use, we really like to stay away from. But the idea between a disciple and um, rabbi relationship was this idea of total submission to the rabbi. Mm. And and it was it's this um you know i'm as a rabbi i'm the i'm the learned one uh I, there are different levels of of rabbis uh, some rabbis are able to interpret scripture we know that jesus was one of these because uh, other other uh, religious leaders would come and ask hey teacher what do you have to say like how do you interpret this text and then jesus would give his interpretation so um As a disciple, what you're doing is you're putting yourself under the leadership and under the authority of this rabbi. Um, So, and it was not merely just, uh, these are the things that you need to know, but rather helping the people that they were, the the rabbis, the rabbis practiced uh, teaching people how to discern. discern. And so a rabbi might say something like, well, what do you think about this? Why would you do that thing that you just did? Mm-hmm. And the, the rabbi acted as almost like a coach helping people process, okay, this is the thing that you just did. Why did you respond that way? Why did you do this instead of that? What would maybe be a better way of handling this? Um,
0: Kind of providing feedback or guidance, helping you, you know, think about the actions that you're taking rather than just acting.
1: Yeah. And so what we see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus would do something um, and then he would kind of go powwow with his uh, with his disciples. And they would say, hey, uh, you told this parable earlier. Um, could you explain it to us? Because like the symbolism and the, you know, like we we weren't really connecting with. It. And he'd say, yeah. Because you're my disciples, I'll 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 let you in on what this parable means, what the different symbolism is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's kind of this model: uh, I do, you watch; I do, you help; Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you do, I help; you do, I watch. Right. And then you do, and I celebrate. And so, if you look throughout the Gospels, you see this. This process taking place within disciples, where Jesus is primarily the one doing the work, and the disciples are there, just kind of in awe. Um, And then there's times where Jesus sends them out to go do the things that he's been teaching them. And then what we see in the end is um, in Matthew 28 specifically is is probably the the best place that we that this is laid out. This is referred to as the Great Commission. Um, now, a commission is kind of a military term where in the military you have commissioned officers and non-commissioned officers. Uh, commissioned officers are ones who are given a task uh, or they are, they're given authority to go and carry out whatever it is their commanding officers tell them to do. Mm-hmm. So this is why it's referred to as the Great Commission. Um, and so often what we do in the church is we refer <laughs> how we practice this. Uh, it's it's more of like the great suggestion. Mm-hmm. Uh, like not a lot of people actually go and make disciples. But the Great great Commission says this. This is in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Um, this is um, right before he ascends. Uh, this is after the resurrection, right before he ascends into glory. He says, "Jesus." Uh, the, uh, Matthew 28 says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, I think that it's interesting. I heard a a pastor, uh, he was from India, and he was talking about how he had gone to this village in the middle of the of the jungle in in india and it was it was like a 3 day like like a 3 day boat ride and then like another 3 day journey like i i don't remember all the details exactly but he said he gets he gets to this village and there's a coke machine there <laughs> <laughs> and he said you know he said Coca-Cola has done a better job at evangelizing the world than we as Christians have. And he says, your problem as Americans is, is you have so much information. You can Google anything and you have information right at your fingertips.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, He says, the problem is not that you need more information. He says, the problem is, is that you need more obedience. Jesus says, um, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you. He doesn't say, teach them all the things that you know about me. Right. He doesn't say, hey, go and get more information. Hey, go get a seminary degree. Like he doesn't say those things and not that getting more information is bad and not that seminary degrees are bad. I have both of those things and I enjoy (laughs) them thoroughly. Um, But what he does is he calls us to obey what it is that he has taught. And so as you look at our values, you'll probably see this progression like it's Jesus-centered. We talked about how everything we do should be viewed uh, and through the lens of who Jesus is. That he should be the center of of how we operate in our families, in the community, in the marketplace, and and wherever it may be in life. Right. And so, this idea of being disciples is not necessarily just uh, to give people more information, but it's to teach them to obey and to live out the ways of Jesus. So this same pastor uh, from India, he said, um, you don't need information. Maybe the question you should ask yourself is, of all the information that you have about God and Jesus, how much of it do you actually obey? And that question kind of wrecked my world. Yeah, I think
0: it could be an uncomfortable question for a lot of people because they feel like, well, you know, I'm doing, the, I'm doing what everybody else is doing. I'm going to church. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I don't fall asleep. I, I you know, see all of my, my church friends and I have, bring my Bible with me. I'm, you know, I'm going through my checklist of the things that the good Christians do today and how they go to church. But, you know, where I'm like, is there anything on the checklist that you take home with you? Mm-hmm. or that you take to work or that you take to the stranger you pass every day on the way to work or yes. something yeah
1: yeah so um i've i've heard it said this way that being a disciple is well this was by Rod Dempsey he said disciple making in its purest form is helping people find Jesus and then helping them grow and become all they can for Christ and so greg to some you may not like this, but to some degree, you are a disciple of mine because it is my goal. I'm hoping that I help you find Jesus. Um, Not that he's lost necessarily, but...
0: uh, (laughs) um, This is not a Where's Waldo situation. Yeah, not not
1: Where's Waldo. Um, But uh, I'm hoping that by the way that I live my life, through the conversations that we have, that Mm -hmm. you would uh, be introduced to a Jesus that maybe... um, like. The real, actual Jesus, not the one that society says, or that certain churches, or that um, you know, these this made up Jesus that you know, and we've talked about this at our last podcast that or the last uh, during the Jesus centered podcast that mm-hmm. we have all these different um, Jesuses that we kind of worship, and in, a lot of it depends on our worldview. Uh, I'm hoping that. Uh, as as I learn Jesus through the scriptures, uh, and and experience Him through life, and just how He has uh, invited me into His story, that that would help introduce Jesus to other people. So, some people think that you have to be a Christian before you can be a disciple, and I would disagree with that. I would say that uh, if you are in the mo- if you are moving in the direction of of learning more about Him, then you're a disciple.
0: So. You know, I kind of talked briefly about the people that are going to church that are, you know, checking that box off. Like, and and that's not to, you know, call anybody out. I think everybody's trying to do it their own way. But what is different about your average churchgoer and somebody who you would then take a step further to to say they're being a disciple?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And so I grew up uh, in the church. I grew up uh with a church that studied the Bible and things like that. But I never really ever heard the idea of being a disciple. I I had people who poured into my life, but I never had anybody who discipled me. Hmm. Um and so a few years ago I you know, like I I came into this realization that this is what we're called to do. Like Usually people's last words are their most important ones, you know, if they have the chance to say them.
0: Yeah, it's got to be something really profound or quotable yeah. or... Yeah, Jesus
1: could have said like, oh, I left the oven on or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> don't forget to feed the dog. Like, But um, his his final words were, go make disciples. And a lot of it, like, it's called the great, like, we have the great commandment, which is love God and love people. And we have the great commission, which is go make disciples. But it was like never ever talked about. It was never. I don't think
0: that head. I've actually ever heard that personally.
1: Yeah, and and that so I mean it's a point well taken that that in the church we we spend more time getting the machine of the church to run with our programming and all those kinds of things. And again, I'm not against uh, traditional kinds of churches. Uh, I'm not against programs that help other people. Yeah. But our ultimate calling as the church, as God's people, is to make disciples. Uh, And so when Jesus says this, he wasn't just like talking to the 12 disciples, like, hey, you guys are the ones who have kind of gone through like three years of seminary with me, like the greatest teacher, right? (laughs) Um, He's talking to the entire church at this point, which there's, you know, 120 people sitting in the upper room. So this is men and women alike. This is uh educated and uneducated, it's people who have been following Jesus. And he tells them all, hey, you all, not just you seminary students, not just you pastors, not just you missionaries, church, go make disciples. And so a few years ago I had this realization like, man, uh I'm in ministry, I'm a pastor. I haven't ever made a disciple.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: And and I like It was kind of like this, um, let's, let's shine a mirror or let's like look in the mirror. And I think what, what I was feeling for myself was also, we could apply to many churches. Um, I would go so far to say as the majority of churches that what we do is we say, oh, especially in church leadership. Oh yeah. We disciple people. We have Sunday school or small groups. Right. Um, or, you know, I disciple people through my preaching on Sundays. And that's all well and good. Uh, One of my mentors, he shared this example. He said, like, when you preach on a Sunday morning, he's like, it's like having a quiver full of arrows and you just pull them out and you just kind of blindly shoot them into the air. They may or may not hit somebody. He said, but if there's somebody that you're in an intimate relationship sitting with across the table, I know that everything I say is just going to be a direct shot because I can contextualize what it is. And that's not a, a... that's not me saying that we should go and shoot people. That's, <laughs>
0: but I was I was making a face about the analogy, which yeah. I think it's a point well taken. But um, I like the the imagery is uh, direct, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so discipleship is this intimate thing that happens between uh, a discipler and a disciplee, And so I would say that um, it would be my goal that everyone that I am discipling is in. Uh, one of, uh, was in three of these kinds of relationships. One is, I would say, an upward where they are being, uh, I want to be being discipled by somebody else. I also want to have what I would call peer-to-peer discipleship where we're learning together. And then I also want to be discipling somebody who is, um, who is newer to the faith, who may not have the same knowledge or experience that I have. So, I'd call this like a maybe a three hundred and sixty, uh, or, or discipleship 3.0 where we're we're trying to you know hit people to be discipled, to co-disciple, and then to uh, to disciple. I other. think we could
0: get a pretty sweet kind of poster design going. The discipleship trident. It's, yeah, there you go. It's a three pronged approach. Yeah. You know, we can really we can market the very the trinitarian. Heck out of yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's got it's got imagery. You know, layers on layers. like an onion.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Shrek. <laughs> so discipleship is like an onion is what I'm taking away from this. There you go. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that we need to have a great amount of intentionality as a church to make sure that the engine that is driving our, our church is, first of all, Jesus, but d- uh, discipleship that's driven towards Jesus. So uh, as, as I was preparing for, um, you know, as I was making plans for Harvestgate, mm-hmm. I read dozens of church planting books and, um, a lot of them are focused on a more traditional kind of model of church, which is all well and good, Sure. but many of them would say, and there's one in particular, I'm not going to say it cause I don't want to throw shade here, but, um, one of them said, "Like you need to launch big, you need to launch fast, and with a huge budget. So there's like <laughs> essentially it was like you shouldn't start a church with anything less than hundred and twenty people, you shouldn't start with anything less than a budget of uh, of a budget of less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and you need to do it quickly." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm like, completely opposite of that." Yeah. Because uh, when I when I hear about the kingdom of God. When I read about it in scriptures, it's never anything big, and we'll get into more detail about this uh, in in our uh, kingdom, uh, our kingdom vision uh, podcast. Kingdom uh, focused. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm at an advantage. I have notes <laughs> in our kingdom focused uh, podcast, but the kingdom of God is is never anything big.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's usually small. It's it's yeast that permeates the entire, del- like a little bit of east goes a long way. It's a, it's a lost pearl. It's a lost coin.
0: It's, Is it a, a mustard seed? It's a mustard because seed. Because I recall, I shout out to Zach's sermon about the mustard seed from, what was it, about a month ago, Not maybe month ago something, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, and I was there to watch that one. And that was a really awesome kind of connection that you were building with that. It was a, a cool analogy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, yeah the the kingdom of god is usually small and what we have gotten in what what has happened uh, there's you know there's different phases of church development and things like that and in the the 90s and early 2000 there was in, in probably late 80s 2000s um there was a movement called the church growth movement um Sometimes referred to as the seeker sensitive movement. They're, they they mm-hmm. kind of went hand in hand. And so it was like, how do we get more people? And like the intention was good. It wasn't it wasn't there's any nothing maniacal about it. It's like, hey, we want more people to understand like this. Um but what had happened is is during that time, there became this shift of how do we get more people into our churches right. And again, as I read scripture, Jesus says, uh, so he's in uh, Caesarea uh, in Israel, and he's talking to his disciples, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And some of them are like, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're John the Baptist, you know, some, you know, and they kind of give these different answers. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, um, the, the apostle Peter says, well, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're, your Lord. And then, then Jesus says, your name is Peter, which, uh, Cephas, you know, like, which means uh, small rock <laughs> or small pebble.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he says, but on, on this rock, I will build my church. And, you know, there's some, some debate, uh, like Roman Catholics would say, well, that means that that's essentially where Jesus said that Peter is going to be the first pope, right? Mm. Um, So that's kind of how they get that tradition that, oh, it's on on Peter that we're going to build the church. Right. Uh, Where from a Protestant, like uh, our understanding is it's no, it's not on Peter. It's on the truth, the rock that Peter spoke, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is Lord. It is on this truth that we will, that God will build his church. And so what we see is Jesus says, I will build the church. You make disciples. And what has happened is we have negated our job of making disciples. And we've started to try to take Jesus's job of building the church. Hmm. And so our hopes with Gate is that we, and again, we aren't the only church that's doing this. Um, I, don't, I don't ever want anyone to think that like, oh, we have it all figured out. And we don't. We weren't technically not even off the ground yet. So yeah. uh, uh, there's, there's lots of learning curves and I'm looking forward to finding out what those things are along the way. Yeah. But I'm hoping that through through Harvestgate, what we can really focus in on is making disciples and not worrying about church growth. Uh, that we'll trust that when we do what it is that God has called us to do, that he will do what it is that he said that he will do, that he'll build the church.
0: So I want to go back to that point about uh, about that movement of just trying to grow the number of people going to church, right? Um, and and just put it into maybe more general terms, I think mistakes that a lot of people make and likely that people in the church have made is to set that type of goal. That's a very general goal. Like we want more people to come to church, but what they're not thinking about it are the behavior or the 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 things that they are going to be doing to make that happen. So they're going and they're sitting down and saying, "We need more people to come to church." But they're not, they're talking more about that objective than they're talking about the how they're going to make that happen and the why people should do that or why they should believe the message that they're giving them. Uh, if if your only objective is to grow the size of the church, are you uh, growing it for the right reason. Is the interest to to do anything, you know, functional with those people that attend? Or is it, hey, guys, we got, I clicked uh, 1,200 people on the clicker this morning when they came in, and that's a new record. Great job, everyone, you know. And that'll mean, you know, more money for the budget. But they're not thinking about the uh, intention behind it and, you know, more, you know, further than getting them in the door.
1: Yeah yeah I think that's a great point and and to be fair i don't i wouldn't say that most people most churches that they're intentionally doing this it's a it's a slow fade into this like we start with good intention right uh what do they say? Uh, there's something there's a saying about uh most of the evils in the world are built built on the back of good intention something along Sounds those right lines. yeah something like that um and and so I think that what happens is we just lose a focus and an intentionality because I I too want to reach the world. I mean our 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 dream, our vision is to have a transforming presence in every zip code in Columbus. Right. I mean, even if that's only reaching, you know, you know, one person in each zip code, that's still 49 people. That's, I mean, that's significant. Um, but clearly we want to reach much more than this. And I think that's interesting that you talk about the numbers like that. Um, in America, we love numbers. Oh yeah. And we like things right now. Like we, we like, you know, we live in the day and age of like, do you remember the last time that there was like a song that you were thinking of? And you're like, Oh, what's the name of that song? Oh, just Google it. You're like, and you know, but have you ever have you ever been with a group of people? You're like, what's that song? And you're trying to figure it out together. And there's like, there's agony. You're trying to figure it out together. Yeah. And, and then somebody remembers it. You start calling friends. It just becomes a kind of this like community, like this communal like experience together. And then somebody remembers it, and everybody like that that itch is, uh, you like scratched, scratched, and like everybody just feels accomplished and like, um, yeah, we need to get back to that. Um, so I want to share some math with you. Your wife will love this. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to, I can tell that your eyes are glazing over right now. (laughs) Uh, but I want to present a situation. Let's say that, um, there's two people. One is a disciple maker
0: mm-hmm.
1: and one is uh, an evangelist. An evangelist is somebody who goes and shares the gospel with people. And, and the, va- the evangelist, um, he does not eat or sleep until he gets one person saved a day, right? Okay. While a disciple maker says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to disciple two people for a whole year. And then at the end of that year, I'm going to ask those two people to go and make two disciples, to do the same thing. Right. So, I want like just listen to these numbers here. At year one, the evangelist would have 365 new believers. That's pretty impressive. Cool. The disciple maker would have made two disciples.
0: Now, I'm not good at math, but that seems like... A lower number. It is,
1: yes. So year two, the evangelist would have made 730 new converts. You as the disciple maker would have made four disciples. Right. By year three, the evangelist would have made 1,095 new converts. Mm -hmm. You and your discipleship would have made... Eight disciples.
0: I'm feeling like I'm lagging behind in this scenario.
1: A little bit. Year 10, uh, things start to catch up a little bit, not a whole lot. The evangelist would have made 3,650 new converts. You, as the disciple maker, would have made 1,024 disciples. Hey, we're catching up. We're catching up.
0: Also, I just want to point out, this evangelist not getting any vacations. That's rough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and his family is really, you know, <laughs> struggling right now. Uh, by year 12, we're almost at, a, at an even point. The evangelist has made 4,380 new converts. You as the disciple maker, uh, you know, this is assuming that those disciples are going on and making two disciples as well. Sure. Yeah. You as the disciple maker uh, have made 4,096 disciples. Nice. By year 16 the evangelist would have made 5,840 new converts while you as the disciple maker would have made 65,536 new disciples. And so what we're like, just because we're about discipleship does not that we are anti the church growing. Right. In fact, uh, we just don't like waiting. I mean, 16 years is a long time to wait. Yeah. Um, but imagine having one convert that you, you know, maybe you spent 23 hours and 40 minutes talking to that guy and he finally, or gal, and she finally became a believer. Like, how do we know that she's being followed up on? How do we know that down the road her her faith is secure and all those kinds of things.
0: And what percentage of people who are saved do then go out and spread that word? Cause I think that's a common thread too, where you get people that are, have accepted, uh, Jesus and they're they would say that they're saved and they're a believer, but are they comfortable sharing that with other people? Are they ready to take that next step to encourage other people to, to go the same way? Uh, I would imagine the statistics on that are probably pretty low.
1: Yeah. Well, and with the the church growth um uh, era of of the church, uh what we see is is that we are trying to save people, to get people saved and then nothing really happens with them afterwards. And so we get people their fire insurance so they don't go to hell when they die and then there you go. Yeah. Um Hopefully they get plugged into the church and we don't really have to deal with them anymore. Whereas making disciples, what we're doing is we are, uh, it's a lifelong process. And I think that this is one of my convictions about discipleship is it needs to be lifelong and ongoing. Um, And that we're continually calling people to look more and more like Jesus. I think that Maybe my favorite way to say what discipleship is is um, that discipleship is learning what it means to be truly human uh because I think that jesus is is the uh this might be a weird way to say it, but the truest of humans like he is he is exactly how God intended us to be, but we we brought sin into the world and like we have a marred, you know, past and like we are, we are inherently have sin in our lives. But as we grow more and more in our, like to look like Jesus, the more we grow towards um, perfection. And again, not that we will ever be perfect. Uh, but Jesus does say, be perfect for I am perfect. Be holy for I am holy. And, and so through discipleship we look more and more and more like Jesus every day. And this process is called sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus that we're being sanctified and set apart to reflect who Jesus is.
0: So, uh in in all of this about discipleship and We've talked a lot about kind of defining what it is and how it's different from people who just attend church maybe or uh, that sort of thing. How is Harvestgate planning to incorporate discipleship for, you know, the people that come to attend and want to get more involved? You know, what does that look like from a Harvestgate perspective?
1: Yeah. So we use a model and let me preface all of this. There are many, many models of discipleship. Mm -hmm. Some of them are better than others. Um, but I'm not going to fault people who are at least trying. Right. The model that we have landed on, uh, is called banding together. And we refer to our discipleship groups as D groups, D standing for discipleship. Pretty Pretty standard stuff. Um, I see the connection. Yeah, banding together is a discipleship process that was put together by Pastor John West, uh, who is a is a Wesleyan pastor, and so he looks back at John Wesley, uh, who, um, who through his movement, um, impacted the church, and Christianity perhaps more than anybody in. Modern history. I heard a statistic, and I I don't remember where I heard this from, but they say that seventy five million people living today can trace their faith heritage back to John Wesley. It's quite a few. Yes. So I'll I'll give a quick quick a very quick uh, <laughs> I'll give a quick um, historical underpinning that informs our modern way of doing this. So John sure. Wesley was, um, you know, we almost kind of have the, the, the example that we just laid out here, the evangelist and the disciple maker. So John Wesley had a contemporary in his day. His name was George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an amazing speaker and he would go out and he would go f- town to town and he would speak uh, in the fields and in like just in common everyday places. And it said that John um, George Whitfield was such a good orator that you could walk around the outside of a of a circle where a crowd gra- where a crowd of people was gathered, and you could hear him as though you were standing right next to him. He was just a really <laughs> phenomenal. So,
0: you know, my mom would say that I'm the same way because she's always telling us that we're talking too loudly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, George Whitfield would draw crowds of thousands of people. He would come into a town, he'd preach, people would get saved, and then he'd leave. It's kind of like the evangelist that we talked about. Rock and roll. Not very many people know who George Whitfield is. Lots of people, however, know who John Wesley is. John Wesley saw the value of what George Whitfield was doing by going into the mining um, communities and, and preaching to them. Mm-hmm. But what John Wesley did that was different than George Whitfield is he would go and he would stay in the town for uh, a couple weeks to a couple of months and he would organize the town into societies. Societies were essentially congregations of people, about 120 to 150 people. Classes, which are, would almost be like a small group. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that would be groups of people um, 12 to 20 or so. And then the smaller unit called bands, bands were groups of people, three to five people who were gender specific. Um, And this is what, we understand as Methodism. so you might hear of the Methodist Church. This yeah. was originally founded. Methodism was putting method to the way that we do church. This was formed by John Wesley. Um, so banding together is a modern take on John Wesley's uh, discipleship model, model of um, And so again, uh, the who modernized this uh, is John West. And um, he has five convictions, and I and I'm full heartedly in agreement with these convictions about discipleship. And it's the and these are the five um, convictions: that the process is simple, that the curriculum is the Bible, that the teacher is the Holy Spirit, and that the focus is obedience, and the result is multiplication. And so, I think sometimes what we've done as an overcorrection to not discipling people is we make these really really complex systems to 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 disciple people. Right. And it's, I mean, uh, what are those machines where it's like? Lots and lots of different processes to, like, make a piece of toast or something like that. Uh, do you remember what that's called?
0: Uh, there was a guy who used to made them, make them, uh, Rude Goldberg, would yeah. make these incredibly complex machines that, you know, would take a hundred steps to, you know, fill a glass of water yeah. or something. So yeah.
1: and that's kind of what we've done with discipleship is we make these incredibly complex uh, mechanisms mm-hmm. in order to do something that is... Not necessarily easy, but it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. It should right. be simple. And so here's how that here's how our discipleship model works. Um, we have a a journal called, you know, it's just a a banding together journal. And in that journal, it has a daily um scripture reading. And that reading, uh so like through from September to May, you read through the entire New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. So it equates to one to two chapters a day that you're reading. And the idea is that we want the disciple to be in, engaged in reading the scriptures because this is our primary source of truth uh, that reveals who Jesus is. So we read uh, from that Passage for the day. And then we journal because uh, there's something that happens when we like process our thoughts. Um, so it's not necessarily Dear Diary today. Uh, <laughs> but it's so uh, there's a method of, of journaling called SOAP. Uh, I think it was put out by the Navigators. And SOAP is an acronym that stands for Scripture. So you write out, maybe there's a, a verse or two that jumped out to you. So you write out the Scripture. Um, and then the O is observation. So, what is this text saying? Like, um, you know, in Acts one eight, it says, "And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. Uh, uh, comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth." So, you might observe, um, God gives His power, and through His power, we He has called us to be his witnesses to the world. Right. Um, and then, so the a is application. How does this scripture apply to our lives? Um, so we don't have Judea, Samaria and, uh, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria now. So we might say the dear, the near, the far and the hard. So how do we take, how do we go and be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth application. And then we write a little prayer out. Um, you know, God help me to be a witness to the world around me, blah, 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 right? So this is how we're engaging people. But then once a week, um, we are gathering together in groups of three to five people, gender specific. Mm-hmm. So I have a discipleship group that I meet with right now, and we meet every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. We chose 6 a.m. because nobody's busy at that time. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you can really meet whenever it is you want. And you follow through these same, like, you read the scripture together, and you take some time in journal, and then you share. And what's cool is you have, the, there's no expert in the room, necessarily, but we're all sharing. This is what God spoke, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me in this moment. Here, here's what God spoke to me through this text. And, you know, there's some conversation that revolves around it, and it can, it can just be really beautiful. Um and then we transition from there and we move into a time of confession or uh accountability. Uh scripture there's principles in scripture that says if you want forgiven you go to God, but if you want healed you go to people. And so uh in James I think chapter 5 it says confess yourself, uh, con- confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. And so we have some questions that we kind of process through. Um there's like 10 questions that are listed out in this journal. I tell my guys, I say, Hey, which one of those jumps out to you this week? Um, and so I'm trying to think of some of the questions. One of them is what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? (laughs) Uh, so it's, it's a time of intimate, like of intimacy. Um, yeah. uh, how have you been tempted in the last week and how were you delivered? Uh, how, uh, are you struggling with anger or frustration or like anything like that? Um, who can you show greater love to in the weeks to come, and and so again these are, you know, you might be sitting there going, that's really invasive, and but what it is is intimate, and we're wanting to be more like Jesus, and so if there's sin in my life, I want it called out so that I'm not doing that thing anymore. Right. Um, the reason why it's gender specific, you know, maybe somebody has an addiction to pornography or something like that. Hmm. Not a good thing to share in mixed company, necessarily,
0: sure. if it's going to be intimate, you're maybe a little more comfortable,
1: yeah yeah uh, and so we we, we share uh, we, we're accountable with one another, and there's trust that's built there. like I trust that the things that I share with my guys that I am in discipleship relationship with that it's not going to leave there, that they're not going to go home and tell their wives or yeah. you know go you know tweet about it or you know whatever it is. <laughs> um, but it's and I' found those times personally to be incredibly healing. Um, just to, you know, because sometimes we don't want to just dump on our spouses. Um, you know, yeah. these are all the things that's happening in life. It's it's good to have other people that we can share those things with. And then the final thing that we do is we pray for the lost. Uh, we we pray for opportunities to be able to share the gospel. We pray um, for specific people in our lives, whether it's friends or family members or, or whoever it might be. Uh, and we pray together, and then we leave. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the, our model. Uh, and again, that's banding together by John West. There's a book. There's a book that you can buy. That's kind of like a leader's guide, just to help you understand the process. And then they sell the journals online, and that's what we use.
0: Awesome. Well, I hope that we've been able to kind of shed a little bit of light on. Uh, what discipleship is, what being discipleship-driven means for Harvestgate and for our, our organization. I have to say, personally, I learned a lot that, uh, that I certainly didn't know before. So, um, you know, we'll continue to talk about and dig into the values that sort of define uh, Harvestgate and what we want to do and how we want to conduct ourselves as a, as a group and as a team and hopefully as a growing community. Um, But thanks everybody for listening and we'll look forward to to more conversations about these values. And thanks Zach. It's been fun. Follow us on social media at Harvestgate Network.
1: There are several ways you can engage with us and support the Harvestgate Network at harvestgate.org.
0: You can subscribe to the Harvestgate Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you're as excited as we are about this project, Please consider supporting us by sharing, joining our prayer team, or donating on our website.
1: Thanks for listening to the Harvestgate Podcast, connecting faith to families, communities, and marketplaces.